You know when your mojo is working, you feel like anything is possible. There's a spring in your step, your thoughts are clear, and well, you've just got the vibe. If you're looking for that vibe, or if you just want to keep it, you've come to the right station. Welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. I got my mojo working. Everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. Nice to have you in the house. Thanks for getting on the bus, the big red bus we call the Mojo Radio Show. Nice to have Robbo back after his sojourn. 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 I'm off the bus anyway. (laughs) He's off the bus in New Zealand, and he's back on our bus, back in the driver's seat of Mm. the Mojo Radio Show. Nice to have you back, mate. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, mate. Good to have you back in the house. Good trip? Yeah, it was a great time. Thanks. New Zealand is such a lovely place. We only went to the North Island, but God, it's just it's God's country, isn't it? Some of the rural areas of the North Island. It's beautiful. 100% pure, as they say. Hello to all our listening friends. We do have a good mm. audience over there in yes, New Zealand. A lot of uh, loyal fans of the Mojo Radio Show. Uh, good to have you back in the seat. We've got a big show. We've got actually another international guest. This guy is an Australian guy making massive, massive noise in America. It's a fantastic story and I'm mm. very, very looking forward to introducing everybody to Joe Cross. Before we start, um, I got an interesting note whilst you're away mm. from Buzz Bidstrup. Remember our, our mate Buzz, episode yeah. 84? Mr. Angels, Mr. Gangajang, Mr. Party Boys. Mr. Gangajang, in yeah. fact, yeah, and he is responsible, part of the, the band, to put together this iconic song. Buzz also runs a charity called the Little Jimmy Foundation, helping kids out in the Indigenous areas of Australia to learn about food and that sort of stuff. And he's been out on one of his trips, mate, and he sent us a note during the week saying, great interview, guys, because he was on the show, episode 84. Great interview, guys. After 10 days in remote Northern Territory, in capital letters, I need the soap on a rope, please. <laughs> well, funny <laughs> you a, should mention with that. With a smiley face. Mm. And uh, the good news, for those who have been on the journey with the Mojo Radio Show, we now have our own merchandise stand and we have a lovely lady who runs it for us called Oksana. And Oksana is an expert in getting merchandise that can help you promote your business, your brand, build a personality and profile of your company. And Oksana got in touch with us and said, why is there a show like the Mojo Radio Show with no merchandise I can help? So we got Oksana on the phone. We brainstormed very, very quickly, and it all came down to four words, Robert. <laughs> Soap on a rope. <laughs> Soap on a rope. Says it all. It's classy. <laughs> <laughs> no one else does it. <laughs> <laughs> we have Oksana on the phone with some exciting news for you, buddy. A lot's happened whilst you've been away. Mm. So, uh, Oksana, what's happening? Uh, the status is on the way to you, so I, I think you should be all excited to to see it and more excited for your clients who will be receiving it. Why are you laughing? We're laughing because we think it's so cool. This is fantastic. We just think it's so good. We just think that it's just (laughs) uber cool that someone who does the great work you do would get in touch with us, give us an idea and then follow through. Absolutely. And give us something to 
give to people who leave a review or to our guests and stuff. It's just fantastic. Mm. We're actually, we're, we're so excited. We're actually on a promise for two already. We've already given two away without even having them in our hands. Yes, and I hope you didn't shower. You, next thing you're going to say you haven't showered for two weeks. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to mention it, but Gary is a bit stinky this morning. This is, uh, this is serious stuff. This, this is big. It's better than men with your logo on it. Oh. Nobody will be talking and asking for that. You must see a lot of that. Oksana, you must see a lot of people who just do a pen or a cap. Does that happen a lot even today? Yeah, even, yeah, this is the very good word that you use. Even today, you think with all the marketing expertise and cool stuff that's going on, like why would people just, you know, firstly, leave it till last minute. Secondly, they just decide that if we put logo on anything, it's automatically going to make it desirable and cool. Mm, yeah. And it's not the case. If it's not if it's not creating emotional connection, if nobody's gonna talk about it, like why? Save your money and you know, and think and maybe ask your clients and, and say, Look, how would you like to receive that? Or actually ask ask yourself, would I would like to receive the, you know, bag with I don't know, Citibank or American Express logo, would I be jumping up and down? Mm. And if the answer is, oh, it's really boring, or I've seen it before, I've done it before. And sometimes it doesn't need to be, you know, the latest and the coolest product. It can be just, you know, smartly delivered or message that connected to what you're trying to communicate. Like if you, I don't know, we're working with a facility facility client now, and, you know, we say, what's the theme? Or we give you the baby fast. So then we suddenly think, oh, we can do the racing car. It's nothing to do with the fertility, but because the message is we give you the baby faster, suddenly it can be USB, but it's in the shape of the car. So it's, it's, it's very, it's sort of outside the box. That's what you do, isn't it, Oksana? So somebody is saying we are going to get merchandise done for, say, Christmas or the new year, and they yeah. aren't sure what to do. They, they know they don't want to do a pen or a cap or, you know, the basic basics that people tend to do, like a standard USB. That's what you do, isn't it? People will just ring you and throw it to you and then you come back with sort of cool suggestions of how to build that emotional connection with their customers or clients. Is that right? Yes, exactly. And I look what's the milestones of, of the business because each business has different milestones and how we can engage the, more with the customer in this touch point through our business. Like last week, I was busy growing a little plants, you know, money trees on my balcony because it's end of financial year. So I got this little plants, the money tree, I put them in a mini red because we are red. Um, is a red brand of our brand is red. So I put it in a little pot and I make a little message saying, guys, hope, hope this year was great for you and look forward to growing together Ooh. and send it to the client. Everyone like calling, jumping, jumping out of the, of the chair thinking, oh my God, this is the best gift ever. And now they're going to keep it on the, on the desk. It's constantly a reminder. It's a story behind it. Our promotional product, you know, company send this to us for the end of financial year. Look how cool they are. That's great. I now know why we picked good. Oksana to do our merchandise, Gary. Yeah. <laughs> She's on the ball. Yes, I can grow up as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I like your thinking, Oksana, I really do. Do you have any uh, plans to grow Tim Tams or M&Ms? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm kind of organic and 
I just stay away from sugar. Do you think some people are a bit scared too, Oksana? Do you think some people, you know, like Gary and I picking soap on a rope, let's face it, a bit 70s, a bit daggy, but, you know, something that we love. <laughs> I suppose it associates with the show in general. True. But do you think... Yeah, do you think in a corporate sense, if someone had the idea of soap on a rope and it tied in to a reason back in their business, do you think that people get scared and go, a bit daggy, let's not, rather than thinking on the positive side, hey, that really reflects our business, that's something we should do? Uh, I think it depends on the culture of the the company Mm. and also depends if they have a a power to say yes and run with it Mm. because a lot of time, you know, it's, in corporate, you know, they need five people to agree on the same thing, and it's a lot of time it's impossible. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think if if and and I think the focus, I think the main problem is people are so focused on me and how do I like it, and I said just it's nothing to do with you. You know, we we buying a gift for grandma, the only person that we should focus and and ask the questions about it's her. You know, and maybe go and ask. I always say, do the pilot. You know, don't go and buy thousand soaps in the row. But you can say, okay, let's get fifty. Send it to the best client. See what's the feedback, and then we can roll out on on national level. But it's it, you need time. You can't just sort of think, okay, sort of idea. Tomorrow I have a conference, and I want this magical product. You know, sometimes we need to go in China and design it from scratch. So it actually takes time to to fulfill, but it needs to be a bigger picture. I always say how we can step up, you know, and go more strategic level, go more, let's plan the year, what what the touch points, how we can, you know, connect with what we're trying to achieve this year. You know, maybe we're bringing referrals, maybe we, I don't know, rewarding, rewarding loyalty. Depends, depends what business trying to achieve you know, for the for the next year and then you can sort of come up with ideas and create more meaning and you know, and create the smart products that people would love to keep rather than, you know, leaving it behind. This is what kills me, you know, when you spend all this money and you go to a conference and it's all left behind. It's like Yeah, that's a good point. It's it's better to have to, to be laughed at laughed at and say, Oh my god, how how baggy and how seventies but can I have another one? Versus <laughs> to be so cool. Yeah, my kids would love one. Yeah, yeah so cool and current and I said nobody take it. Yeah, there you go. I think that's gold, Gary. Gold. I think that is gold. Gold. Oksana, how would somebody <laughs> How would somebody get in touch with you to start this process? So if somebody out there wanted to get in touch with you, where would you send them? Uh, they just can send the email to Oksana, O-K-S-A-N-A, at impero, I-M-P-E-R-O, dot com, dot A-U, and we'll get in touch and start the conversation. And I think it's also important because you know, uh, all our listeners know that we don't have any advertising or sponsorship on the show. This is purely because Oksana has gone out of her way to look after us and get some soap on her rope, which we're very excited about. Mm. So, um, Oksana, we really appreciate what you've done for us. We'll keep in the loop. There's going to be some famous people with the soap on a rope around their neck in the shower. <laughs> Look out, yeah. and we'll post, a, we'll post a few photos. We're actually going to have a very neat photo for you to put on your website. We spoke to Drew Ginn, who's a three-time Olympic gold medalist, and he's promised us a photo of him wearing his three gold medals plus your soap on a rope. So we'll send you that to stick up on your website. Wow, this would be cool. 
Yeah, I'm still, I'm still in process <laughs> of, uh, of a gift for Thanks, him. Thanks, Oksana. That's, we're so looking forward to seeing these. I can't wait. Okay. Enjoy. Stay clean and <laughs> um, enjoy the winter. <laughs> Let's oh, go. The Mojo Radio Show. So it's on. It's We're ready to go. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> number one out of the gates mm. is Buzz Binstrup, episode yeah. 84. And the second one we have to set out. And this one had a lot of great uh, a lot of great feedback um, for people who had listened to the show. It was Drew Ginn, who's a three-time mm. Olympic gold medalist. He's promised us a picture. <laughs> He's requested a soap on a rope for his trophy cabinet, mm. being a world and Olympic champion. So um, there's two gone. I wonder if it takes pride of place over the, over the gold medal or gold medals. <laughs> Oh, I can imagine you being in front of a sold-out auditorium, 2,000 people, and he says, you know what? <laughs> there in Atlanta, it all came down to one thing and pull, pulling out the subway rope. Now, uh, I've got one, before we get Joe on the phone, mm. I've got one quick thing for you, and I haven't done a book review for a while. The Mojo Pages. Now, this is just a quickie for you, Rabu, but yes. Reid Hoffman is the co-founder and chairman of LinkedIn. Now, LinkedIn is... Mm one of the great social network platformers, particularly if you're a business person and is getting stronger from day to day as a network for professionals. I read a book, which I found in the library. Now, I'd heard Reid Hoffman interviewed a number of times, always very impressed with him. And I found his book in the library and thought, well, this is too good an opportunity to pass up. The book is kind of, because it's called The Startup of You, it really isn't about starting up a business. It's really about you, your brand, what the dreams are you have for your future and how acting and taking the lessons from great entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley, you can take all those lessons, apply them to your own world to help you do what you want to do. So it's kind of taking entrepreneurial skills that they use in startups but applying it to yourself to allow you to be or principally what he's saying is, you know, more nimble to more invest in yourself. How do you build professional networks? How do you take the right risks, like intelligent risks? And he talks you through building your career plans, coming up with your true competitive advantage. We hear that a lot, mm. but it's he articulates it really well. Mm. How to win the best jobs, how to win the best opportunities. And one part I really liked was how to strengthen your own professional network. And that's something that you and I are going to talk to now that you're back and in places, how we do that and take the stuff from this book. And then how do we tap those networks to get, you know, real information we can use and intelligence so that we can make better and smarter decisions. Um, I found this book really good. I can tell a good book by the number of highlights I've got. Yep. This one was chock-a-block. So, you were highlighting a library book, were you? <laughs> oh, I didn't think about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, the, the next person will benefit. <laughs> it was like that when I got it. <laughs> so uh, the startup of you is very good if you want to take control of your own life, but I liked it because it's taking great stories about Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook and all these great startups out of Silicon Valley, taking all the lessons and showing you how to apply it to your own world. And just off the back of that, quite fortuitously, mm. uh, whilst you're away, we get contacted by Andrew O'Loughlin, uh, who runs Limelight Sports. Shout mm. out to Andrew and his team there. Mm. He put a really nice post up on LinkedIn, thanking us for our 
He called it the insightful interview with Drew Ginn uh, and the always excellent Mojo Radio Show. So there you go, mate. Uh, soap on a rope going Andrew's way. You must have been talking about my questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we might, uh, we might sing as he used Drew Ginn in the same sentence with the Mojo Radio Show and it came through on LinkedIn. It's got to be a soap on a rope for sure. Four words, soap on a rope. Getting your mojo working. This is the Mojo Radio Show. So there's a little story to this, uh, our next guest today, Robbo. I've recently got Netflix because with this trend today is you don't own anything. Mm. By having Apple TV, it gave me access to Netflix. And because I like documentaries and sourcing info for the show and stuff for my speaking, I must say I'm loving Netflix. And I came across a documentary called Fat, Sick and Nearly Dead. <laughs> yeah. I knew nothing about the, the, the documentary. I knew nothing about the guy who produced it. Uh. But within a couple of minutes of watching it, I must say I was really sucked into the story. And it's about a guy called Joe Cross, who's an Australian guy, uh. who essentially travels right across America in a van with a juice machine in the back of it. And he goes and buys organic fruit and veggies and juices them. And he's going across America because he's chronically ill, chronically overweight, been living the life of basically, you know, the corporate executive. And if he didn't make some changes, he was going to die. Mm. Anyway, so Mm. the backstory is that I watched that one. Then some weeks later, I came across the second one, which is Fat, Sick and Nearly Dead 2. And more recently, I came across one uh, that was Joe doing basically a documentary about food and children and health, which I loved. I was at a speaking gig and at the back of the gig guy came up, we were discussing cancer and I was giving him some information he might like to source to help him with his his story behind cancer. And I happened to mention Joe and he said, well, my wife is a really good friend of Joe and that's how we got in touch. So it kind of links back to the start of the show Mm. with what Reid Hoffman talks about from LinkedIn is these great professional networks. And it's a really good example. So through this family, I contacted Joe. He's been very, very generous with his time because he's a super, super busy guy, as you'll hear. Joe Cross, mate, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Thanks very much, guys. It's great to be there. Gary, I'm enjoying um, listening to your show and it's nice to be on it. We've been put in touch by some mutual friends of ours, Robin and Katrina, who put us in touch. You're an Aussie guy and you're now living in New York, right? Yeah, that's, that's right. I was born and bred on the northern beaches of Sydney, Australia. Um, did, did most of my schooling there uh, up on the French's Forest and then um, Lane Cove. And then uh, <clears throat> I sort of grew up on the Futures Exchange floor of Sydney, started a few businesses entrepreneurial-wise Australia, and then around the age of 40, um, I, uh, I ended up sort of spending more time in the US. And about, I guess, probably the 2011, so like five years ago, I gave up my apartment in Sydney and moved over. Joe, for those people who haven't seen your documentaries yet on Netflix, can you just give us an executive summary of the journey? So you've just said you ended up on the the stock market floor. The last five years have been extraordinary with what you have, the journey you've been on, the difference you're making around the world. Can you give us a snapshot of where you were at that time and then what's happened since? Sure, Gary. Yeah, I think the the best way to... um to summarise my journey is that I was like every other bloke, typical Aussie, um, and for that matter, you know, if you come from the Western world, being the US or the UK, um, you know, I was, you know, love, love, love my mates, love drinking beer, love going out and having a good time, love my footy, um, 
I got sick around 32. I got a thing called chronic urticaria angioedema, just a fancy way of saying chronic hives where your body starts reacting against itself. It's an autoimmune disease. And um, I needed to take lots of medication. And, you know, it was one of those things you go to the doctor, you think, oh, this bloke will give me a prescription. I'll be on the, on the meds for a week and then I'm good, you know. And that wasn't the case. These were things I had to take every day, every morning, every night. I'd take these pills. After two years of taking these pills, it was like, crikey, am I ever going to get well? And this went on right up to my 40th birthday. So the crisis that I had was really on my 40th birthday, and, and that's when everything sort of came to a head. You know, it was like I was focused on wealth, not health. I was, you know, close to 150 kilos around then. I was loaded up on medication night and day for debilitating disease I had for eight long years. I was pre-diabetic, had high cholesterol, high blood pressure, and, you know, this wasn't what I ordered. You know, this wasn't in the brochure of life for me to, <laughs> to, to hit 40 and be, be fat and be sick and be nearly dead because that's really what I was. Um, you know, on my 40th birthday, you blokes would know that restaurant in uh, Crow's Nest called Peacock Gardens. No, you know? I was just there the other night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, so I, I had my 40th birthday dinner there with a bunch of mates and, you know, I drank, um, you know, a standard night for me, 10 beers, two bottles of wine, half a bottle of vodka, enough Chinese food for all of Beijing. And that, that was my night out. And so when I woke up on my actual birthday, because I went the, the evening before, it was a real crisis moment for me and I said to myself, you know, if I, if I don't do something about this, how am I going to be when I'm 50? How am I going to be when I'm 60? Am I still going to be here? And to be perfectly honest, the, the being sick was probably more the focus for me. It was more getting off the meds and getting healthy rather than losing the weight um, was the objective. And so then I began a journey. What I did was I decided to put a camera on myself because a few of my mates said, Joe, you're the most least likely person to do something like this. So I had no experience, no idea about making movies. And I came to America to film the movie of my transformation because I thought if I shoot it in Australia, you know, Americans won't watch it. There's 300 million of these guys. They're, I'm not Robinson Crusoe being fat, sick and nearly dead, right? There's a truckload of them here. So that took sort of two to three years to pull all that together. The movie came out in 2011. It's uh, been seen by 25 million people worldwide. Um, in the movie, I drink juice for 60 days and nothing else, and then I eat fruits and vegetables, nuts, beans, seeds, and whole grains for three months. So it's five months in total, and I was going to do longer. I was going to do a couple of years, but it ended up only taking five months to be off all medication. I was 40 kilos lighter, so um, I was down to 110, and then I went another 10 kilos when I was eating the plants, so I got down to 100 kilo. Um, and I, 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 the movie came out, huge success, and then I, a business was born, you know, like all of a sudden everyone wanted to know what I was doing. So I've written seven books, uh, New York Times bestseller. I've made three other movies, or, well, two other movies including that, so I've made three films on Netflix. I'm in two other movies on Netflix. I think it's soon to be three. And um, I now sort of travel the world making content, talking to people about how they can make lifestyle changes that can – Change their life. But most importantly, mate, do you still pull the boots on? <laughs> I'm an armchair rugby player now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Joe, um, it's interesting. I've watched all your documentaries, looked at your stuff. What I'm curious about is that this, you said this sort of started at 32, but it took you till 40 to make a decision to make a choice. Why yep. does it take people so long to make that decision? Because you just said along the way, you obviously had red flags that weren't working for you, but sure. we continue on. Why 
why does it take that long for us to make a decision to finally make a choice to change? So I call this phenomenon, it's called KIVDI, right? K-I-V-D-I, KIVDI, okay? And the reason I call it that is it's, because it's, it's knowing it versus doing it. That's the mm-hmm. anacronym. Knowing it versus doing it. See, everyone listening to this show knows that fruits and vegetables, nuts and beans and seeds and whole grains are good for them, right? Mm. Everyone listening. We'd have to go a long way to find someone who would argue about those foods not being good for you, Mm. okay? Yet the average Aussie is consuming in their diet just 7% of their calories comes from that incredibly important food group. 33% 33% comes from animal product and a whopping 60% comes from processed food. And this is why we have this disease-riddled epidemic of nutritional ignorance that's going around Australia, the US, the UK and the Western world. So the question that you're asking me is the question for all of us, right? Why did it take me so long to pull my finger out and do something about it? And To be perfectly honest, I think we're all motivated by different things. It's like there has to be some moment which Oprah would call the aha moment where the crisis comes and you just realise that if you don't do something about it, it's going to just be all too late. I like to think that, you know, I've, I've got my own time machine. You've got your own time machine. You know, you can travel back in time pretty easily. Go and look at some old photos. Go for a trip down memory lane. Think about your wedding day. Think about the days you're at school, playing footy if you like. It's easy to go backwards, right? Well, if it's easy to go backwards, it should be just as easy to go forwards. So imagine what your life's going to be like in five years, 10 years, 20 years, and think about how you want to be and what do you want to be doing. And I, that's what I used to take it from the knowing it to the doing it. So I, I invoked my own fear, my own fear of not so much death because I don't think innately we, we're too scared of death. I think but I was more scared of what my lifestyle would be like, you know. Yeah. If yeah. I had diabetes, I might not have legs. I might not have hands. I might be blind. So I'll take death over being hospitalised and being in a sick bed for like 20 years, Right. I mean, that, that's what I'll take. So I started thinking about the quality of my life. And so that's what got me there. But see, when I'm 32 and I'm 33 and I'm 34, yeah, I'm overweight and I'm sick. But you know what? I've got stuff to do. I'm out there building a business. I'm focused. I've got my priorities out of whack. I'm, I'm, I'm putting other things in my life to knock out that noise of what I need to do. And also... Most of us, for change, change is fear, right? Change equals fear for a lot of people. I like to think of change equaling opportunity. And so, so I was, it took me a while to get the courage. It took me a while to get to the, the scared part about where my life could go. And then it took some time to get to me to a position of peace in myself where I just knew I had no alternative. Joe, it's very interesting and... I'm going to skip around with where I was going to go with this conversation because I'm finding what you're saying to be so valuable. So yesterday in Sydney, I did a keynote speech and typically in the room, you've got 16 to 20 odd corporate executives. They're all CEOs, variety of different companies. And there was two guys standing in the corner before I started. I went across and chatted to them and they were fit, healthy, 
like good sorts of guys. They were just, you know, seemed like they looked after themselves. And typically when you start to have that conversation with them, they do look after themselves. They get up early in the morning. One of their non-negotiables is exercise. They eat well. They didn't eat the scones at morning tea. And it, it was telling. If you were to look back now at yourself when you were, say, 33 or 34, you were starting to carry weight as most executives around us sadly are around the world. Yep. If you were to look at, because these two guys were the anomaly in a typical room because, and they just stood out because they were fit and healthy. If you were to look back and say, okay, I understood what I was going through, building a business, I'm on the corporate carousel, I'm working hard, I'm doing all the things that we typically do that most of us do. What advice would you give to yourself if you were 33 or 34 now knowing it, knowing what you went through and you're a very upfront, honest Aussie bloke? What would you say to yourself? I'd probably have the chat to myself and I'd try and drill down and break through about the insecurity because, see, my fundamental problem was and to a certain extent still is because I believe that once you've got like um, these issues, you know, that are ingrown from a child, like imprinted in your brain, I think that they're there for life and now I manage it much better than than how I ever did. So my problem was sugar. And so when I got stressed, I would go to sugar, okay? And I still do today, but now I'm better at managing it, okay? So back in the school days, I was mocked at school. I was pretty much bullied. I was like a I was a bit um, uncoordinated. I was big. I was like picked on a lot. I mean, my 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 sort of from first grade to probably year nine were tough years for me, right? And didn't have a lot of friends. And so my best friend was from the tuck shop, Whiz Fizz. You remember that? Do you remember the um, the, the sugary little you know Sherbet. cream buns? Kit Kats, Mars bars, Paddle Pops. Sounds like the, sounds like the studio, Robert. <laughs> get the studio sounds like dinner last night. <laughs> Anything that had sugar in it, Coca Cola, Fanta, right? That was my go-to fix to stop myself from falling. It was my best friend. Like sugar was always there to pick me up and make me feel good. So I took that with me as a young kid all through my life until I realised it. You know, probably not until I was 40 did I realise that I had such a, 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 a hook in my life that sugar played this incredible role that whenever stress came along and I felt like I was out of control or falling, the only thing that would stop me falling, so I believed, was the consumption of sugar. And for some people it might be alcohol, it might be cigarettes, it might be coffee, it might be, you know, aggression. It might be whatever their their thing is, but for me it was sugar. So if I could have a chat to myself at 32 or 25 or 18 or 19, it would have been to somehow penetrate into my head then to understand that and to do something about that then and really work hard at trying to come up with alternative methods to deal with stress. So perhaps it could have been exercise that could have been switched in for the sugar. So whenever you get stressed, you go for a bike ride, you go for a swim, you go for a run, you hit the gym, whatever. So swapping out things that 
Um, we are on autopilot a lot of the time of what we do. You know, we, our lives are very autopilot driven of our behavior. And changing behavior is a very difficult thing to do. You know, the average person listening to us today, when it comes to food, they are, they are subconsciously making a minimum of 200 choices a day when it comes to food every single day of their life. 200 subconscious choices. So good luck just trying to use willpower to stay on the right track. It has to be habits. It has to be you've got to put effort in. You've got to really build habits. You've got to try and break down those, you know, go-to just automatic responses. And so that's the that's probably the advice I would give myself because I'm much more aware of that today. I'm much wiser in understanding of that today. And by the way, that doesn't mean I'm perfect, okay? Like, you know, maybe out of every five times I got stressed when I was 32, all five I'd go to sugar. Maybe now it's down to one out of five I hit the sugar. What would you say to the person that says, I don't like that, I, you know, I don't like juice, I like my white bread toast for breakfast, you know? I've got to have my, you know, whatever it is for lunch. What, what, what do you say to the person that says, you know, I can't, I can't live on juice. I can't, you know, I, I can't just eat vegetables. Well, well, first of all, I would never say to anyone to live on juice, right? But what I would simply say is that there's only three things we can eat, all humans, mm. okay? That's plants, animals, or processed food. Now, if I ask you boys how old you are, you're going to give me a numerological number which is going to date back to how many laps you've done around the sun. So if you tell me you're 40, that means you've done 40 laps around the sun. Jeez, he's being generous, mate. <laughs> really? Really, how old are you? How old are you as a species? You're actually 240,000 years old is actually how old you are as Homo sapiens. So the question is, as a species, as, as, as Homo sapiens, what have you been eating for most of your existence on this beautiful planet of ours? And you know what? You've been eating two things, animals or plants. But now we've swapped out the main part of our caloric intake is this new kid on the block that's about 70 years old called processed food. So if you said to me, Joe, I don't like plants, I just like my steak and I like my bun and I like my meat pies and I like my sausage rolls and I like my tomato sauce and I like my pizza and I like my Chinese. And if you said to me, that's all I want, I'd say, well, good luck. Enjoy your life. Go and, have a, go and enjoy yourself. Have a good time. The last thing I'm going to do is get on a soapbox and try and convince anybody what they should do in their life. Because if that's what you like and that's the path you're on, I say good luck to you. Go and enjoy it. But what I can say if that person was to ask me, what do you think is going to happen to my health if I do that, if they actually bothered to ask me, I would say that you cannot ignore the biological laws of cause and effect, okay? If that's a path you want to choose, you are by default going to end up shortening your happy times on this planet, okay? That's all you're going to do. You're going to be shortening them. And you might... For some people, it might be five years, it might be two years, it might be 30 years. We're all different. So you can't say that it's this. You know, you just got to say that's how it is. So what I would say to someone who said, how can you help me if that's what I am? I'd say, well, look, let's not go to zero on the processed food. That's kind of unrealistic. But let's try and take the average, which is 7%, and see if we can get that up to 20 or 30 or maybe even 50. Maybe it's possible that half of your calories can come from plants 
and the other half can come from, you know, processed food and animal product. And if we could move all of Australia to that 50-50 percentage, boy, oh, boy, we'd have the healthiest nation in the world. Mate, can you um, share the story um, that sort of dovetails onto what Robbo was just asking about the guy who seems to be quite happy doing it? I, I love the story of Terry from Terry's gun shop in Guthrie. <laughs> and <clears throat> I'll, I'll set it up. Robbo, but the, from the, watching the documentary that um, Joe walks into a gun shop uh, in America and meets a guy called Terry and Terry owns the gun shop and he's sitting behind the, the, the stand of the gun shop working on some guns. And the reason I raise the story is because Terry's reaction at the end of that piece in the first documentary, I think it was, said, I'm the happy fat guy. That's how I like it. That's how I'm going to my grave. This guy was taking five or six different pills a day. When you went back the second time, can you update us, Joe, as to the sure. impact, what had happened and what he's doing today? Sure. So what happened was is that I ran into Terry in 2007 was when I went into his gun shop, right? 2007. A movie came out in 2011 and in 2013 – I was making Fat, Sick and Nearly Dead 2. So we're talking a full six years after that I'd met him. I got an email, um, it was actually a Facebook message that came through in, in uh, 2012 or 2013 saying, um, listen, I went and saw Terry in the gun shop the other day because I saw him in the first movie and you need to reach out to him. The changes are unbelievable. Terry's a new man. So I thought, this is weird, you know. So we gave Terry a call and Terry started to talk and I said, Terry, shut up. Don't tell me anything. I'm going to come with a camera crew and you're going to tell me live. I, 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 don't want, I don't want to know any of this. I want you to tell me this story as though you haven't spoken to me at all. Because as soon as he started talking, I said, right, nothing. Because in documentary world, you can't get someone to tell the story twice, right? You've got to capture it live. So... We flew to Oklahoma. He's in a town called Guthrie, which is about two hours' drive north of Oklahoma City. And we drove up to Terry, and I had the camera crew go and sit inside the gun shop. I waited outside, and they gave me a text on the phone saying we're all ready. And I walked in, and I couldn't believe Terry. I mean, he looked at me and Bucks. And Terry told me that his daughter had watched the movie just on Netflix at her university, and she saw her dad in it, didn't even know her dad was in it. He just shows up in the movie. Because remember, we're talking 07 to 2012, uh, 2011, like it's four years. So Terry had even forgotten he'd spoken to me, all right? Um, and his daughter goes in and uh, calls him up and says, Dad, I'm driving over tonight to show you in this movie because Terry had forgotten about it. So she brings a laptop over and Netflix in those days wasn't, the, you know, wasn't as big as it is now. And she sits down with him and says, watch this. And at the end of it, Terry's got tears in his eyes because he's watched the whole movie and seen that he's one of these average people that I speak to who doesn't care. And the daughter's in tears saying, I want you to be there for my graduation. I don't want, you know, I want you to walk me down the aisle and the way you're going, you're going. So there's all tears everywhere. So Terry goes out, buys a juicer, starts juicing, throws all the junk out of the house. Terry changes his bloody life. I mean, I can't remember exactly how much weight he lost. It's easily over 30 kilos. 
He doesn't take any meds anymore. He can do all the things with the girls, the shopping. He's, he goes to the gun shows and the gun events and he can walk all the, all the, the, um, the expos without getting tired. His feet don't hurt. He's taken up changing the whole town to get more salad bars because he's a bit of a character in the, in the small town. And he runs the pass, kick and punt, which is a big sort of football thing for the high school. He's even got a, a, a vegetable garden growing in the local town. So, I mean, incredible, right? Incredible transformation story. One thing that he said, which I think goes back to what Robbo was asking, Joe, is he, Terry said that he took care of the little things, like getting rid of the chips, the ice cream, the snacks out of his home. And you've talked about the Emily Dixon quote that said, if you take care of the small things, the big things take care of themselves. That really is a case, isn't it, of Terry taking little steps but, the result a number of years later is pretty massive, isn't it? Yeah, look, 100%. Um, you know, if, if, you, if you sort of said to me, you know, and this is in my last movie I did, which was called The Kids Menu, which was all about childhood obesity, and what I learned in that is that, you know, if you want to take one thing out of kids' diets, if there's one thing you could change, that would be taking, you know, soda like, like Coke and Fanta and what, what we call soft drink, right, in Australia. You just get that out of the diet. And that can have a profound impact over a child or a teenager over 10 years. I mean, you know, you drink a can of Coke a day for 10 years. I mean, we're talking, you know, 15 to 18 kilos of weight at the end of that time. I mean, it's, it's monumental, right? So those little things um, that, that, that we see in life, um, they really add up. And, th- and this is the problem with us, right? This is the problem with humans is that... We've developed over these 240,000 years as Homo sapien and we've developed incredible instincts, right, really to protect us and keep us alive for as long as possible. I mean, if we're all sitting around a room and a saber-toothed tiger runs in, hasn't eaten for a month, I mean, you know, we are scattering. We are, it's fight and flight. The adrenaline kicks in. Everything about survival of our instincts makes us perform at our highest level to save our life, Right. But with this processed food that is very new, as I said, 70 years old in our life ex- ex- you know, experience, we haven't developed any instincts to realise that it's killing us a death by a thousand bites. So when a bloke walks in with 20 pizzas, instead of running away from him, we run towards him and the, re- the result is the tiger or the pizza, both are going to kill us. It's just a matter of time frame and how long it's going to take. So humans, we just haven't got that recognition of building in that something we do today can have harm for us down the track. We've never had to have that um, power. Like, we've never needed it. Because when you're at one with nature, you kind of don't need it. But as soon as you start breaking the laws of nature, that's when the trouble can start. It's half time on The Mojo Show. And time to pause... For a cause. Hi guys, my name is Joel Pilgrim and I'm from the organisation One Wave. We're raising awareness for mental health through surfing and the wellness of the ocean. The idea is to get together and to start conversations around mental health and to really help people understand that it's absolutely okay to not be okay. We dress up in fluoro and we meet up at beaches all around the world at Fluoro Friday at 6.30 in the morning on Fridays. And uh, we've also got the One Wave Surfing Experience for people with high mental health needs to get together and really feel what it's like to learn how to surf and to turn their life around through um, you know, 
recovery and a functional recovery in a real way. So get on our website, onewayisallittakes.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to love your support. There's also a chance to donate and to change people's lives. And, and I guess um, the, the fact of the matter is the only way we're going to really change an issue that so many people battle alone, being mental health, is by standing strong together. The Mojo Radio Show. Just going back to what you were talking about, kids and soft drink, would you suggest, and it's kind of my experience, and I'm interested to get your thoughts, I guess, is more what I'm asking, that starting them younger on these sort of whole foods sets them up a bit better for the rest of their life. I mean, I, I guess what I've got a daughter who I was telling Gary the other day who's got this blueberry f- pet fetish at the moment. <laughs> she's two and she's she's literally at, she's in the wrong season, mind you, eaten about like over half a dozen punnets of blueberries in the last couple of days. She just loves them. But she loves her fruit in general. Like her grandparents have an orange tree and they've been bringing over oranges and all that sort of stuff. And we take her out to play dates and there are other kids there who are downing the biscuits, who are downing the, the you know, the chips and all that sort of stuff. But Sophie will come up and want apple or blueberry or something. Right. Do you, do you, do you think it's important to start that way or do you think we just get lazy as we get older? So here's what I think, Dan, and I've spent, you know, 18 months on this film looking at exactly the question you just asked. Mm. And here's what I've learned, and I'm by no means an expert, this is what I've learned. We, as children, right from the very beginning, we um, emulate what our parents are doing and the journey of our food how it gets to us and where that comes from is critical in our choices for what we eat. So you just mentioned the tree with fruit at the grandparents. Mm. So she has a connection between Mother Nature being the trees and food that's already in her pathways of her brain, which is going to be putting her miles ahead of 90% of kids who have no idea where their food's coming from, and this is a sad fact today. So, so what we learned was that kids that are involved in the food system, understanding that there are gardens, that you plant a seed, that you water it, that you tend to it, that you harvest it, that you pull it out of a garden, that you get into the kitchen, you get involved with mum and dad, and as a team and as a family, it's fun making food, putting it all together, experimenting, trialling, testing, tasting, and then all sitting down together and eating a meal together and then doing the cleaning up together and it's all part of fun. It's not like something you have to do. Compare that experience to kids sitting in front of an Xbox, a doorbell rings, a bloke from Domino's arrives in a funny hat and a funny uniform, opens up a little bag and puts a cardboard box down with a square or circular pizza that they're chewing into while they're looking at Xbox and then the box is thrown to the side. Just think about the difference of understanding how that whole process is in terms of the enjoyment. Just even the way the body and the muscles have relaxed and the body's getting excited and the texture and the understanding of how that food and the energy that's going to come out of it. So now I'm not saying that every mum and dad out there listening has to do that every night, but you only got to do it two or three times a month and those pathways are there, right? They're done. So that's one thing. The second thing I learned a lot about was that kids up to the age of five really should just be drinking milk and water. From all the experts I spoke to, that is a general consensus. Don't even give them green juice. Don't give them anything. Milk and water up to the age of five. Kids 
like, like us have these things called telomeres that are the end of our chromosomes. And the longer the telomere, the longer your life expectancy and the longer your love expectancy without um, health problems. The shorter the telomeres, the bigger problems you're going to have. Guess what one thing kills the telomeres the most between the age of zero and five? Sugar. So we've got to really be careful with our kids and sugar as we're going zero to five. After five, doesn't mean you can open the floodgates with everything, but it's just not as damaging as it is in the early years. I've got to say, for any parent listening to the show, the kids' menu on Netflix, I've watched it a number of times and I've watched it with my family. Um, I think it's so well put together. The message is so powerful, Joe. I really congratulate you, mate. It's, it's just a great piece of film to help Thank you cement very much. this message with the, the background, the science, the research, but more importantly, the how-tos. And <clears throat> one piece that I wanted to add to what Robbo was asking there and, and you've just alluded to, you spoke to the former chef for the First Lady, for Michelle Obama, who obviously is a champion for this cause, Joe, and... When he spoke, he said the other tip for parents is to get the kids involved in the cooking and the shopping so they get this background and understanding. Yeah. That came through, it was quite prevalent, wasn't it, through the messaging through the kids' menu on Netflix? Yeah, Sam Cass is the former White House chief of, um, of the kitchen there and Sam's a great guy. And Sam made the very important point that, that you know, the whole process of, of the system, if you can't get to a farm, get to the farmer's market. You can't get to the farmer's market, go to the grocery store, into the produce section. Let the kids run around and choose things and make it so that the kids are involved and so we're going to buy these eight things and we're going to go home and we're going to try and do something with them. So a lot of kids these days that, you know, might be eight or nine or ten, they're much better on YouTube than mum and dad are, like getting around YouTube, Right. And going on YouTube and finding ingredients for making a healthy plant-based meal and having the kid bring their iPad into the kitchen, have, have little Johnny or little Sarah involved and she's in charge, that really empowers a kid to being, wow, I'm really, this is responsibility, this is great, I'm going to make dinner tonight. And just those little things make a huge difference, you know. We have a we have a we have big problems in the world today. I mean, there's there's lots of problems, whichever way you want to look at it, right? But you ask every parent, every parent I've spoken to, you, the, the, the the standard question is, what do you want for your kids? And what what's the standard answer you get? I want them to be happy, right? So happiness, defining happiness, very difficult to be happy if you're unhealthy. Okay, no, it's not it's not it's not impossible. But it's a big factor of happiness. When people have got the flu, they're not generally over the moon about it, right? They're not happy, okay? When people have got diseases, when they're sick, when they're in hospital, they're generally not happy. So this idea of what we can do for our children to set them up, yeah, I know algebra is important. I know spelling's important. I get that, right? But I reckon understanding how to put a salad together, understanding how to make an incredible, delicious plant-based meal that's made from fruits and vegetables, nuts, beans, seeds, and whole grains. I've got to tell you, I reckon that's right up there with spelling. That's right up there with your manners. That's right up there with everything about what it is to be a human in civilization. Mate, I've got to tell you an interesting story. My 12-year-old and I made, up some, made our own ginger beer on the weekend, and um, you had to make up a ginger syrup to make the ginger beer. And right. there was like 
half a packet of sugar. Now we used, you know, the best sugar I could find or what I, you know, was sort of told would be the best sugar, you know, rather than just white processed sugar to use. But we used half a packet of it and Jack stood at the the stove making this syrup and he went, I can't believe how much sugar's in here. <laughs> and I said, mate, and that's us making our own. You think about the processed stuff when you buy your V or you on which I know he tells me he doesn't, but I know he does on the way home from school and all that sort of stuff. I said, and it's been palpable the amount less that he's drunk of that sort of stuff this week since realizing that. No, and, and that's and these are great, a great, great tools for all of life, you know? Yeah. That story you told Joe at the high school where you took the young guys and talked them through Gatorades versus tea versus soft drinks. Yeah. And you got them to equate the grams of sugar on the back of a pack or a bottle of something to actual teaspoons. To me, that was, it was a really good illustration. You just talked us through that because what we're told is look at the packaging, look at how much sugar but what it dawned on me watching that, that documentary was when you equate grams to teaspoons, that's what really comes home. The food industry is genius at trying to overcompensate with lots of information to make it difficult to understand what's going on, right? So, so they'll put sugar under five or six different names in a product, and then when they've got to put their grams, like for a gram of sugar, it's, it's four teaspoons of sugar per gram. Okay, so if you take a can of Coke, all right, it, it, it contains 39 grams of total sugar, which is a regular can of Coke. Just think about that, 39 grams of sugar. And so that is nine and a third teaspoons of sugar. So it's four grams wow. to a teaspoon, okay? So I might have had that, I might have been saying that around the wrong way, but it's, it's, it's four grams to a teaspoon, okay? So every can of Coke, nine teaspoons of sugar. Just think about it. Imagine they had to put on the packaging, this can yeah. of Coke has nine teaspoons of sugar in it. Mm. So when I was like, you know, in my 20s, I was drinking six or seven cans a day. That's what I was doing. Something I don't hear spoken about as much but came through particularly with the guest you had on the show from Kenya, I think it was. Yeah. And this particular guest had dropped a lot of weight. What was very telling was the impact it had on not just a weight situation but she talked about the impact it had on her mind, her spirit, her energy yeah. and her self-esteem. It mm -hmm. must be quite profound for you to see those changes that come from a healthy way of eating, that it's not just about the weight part of it, but it's the outcomes that come with it, isn't it? Yeah, you're 100% right. I, I, I'm blown away by the mental changes and clarity that people experience once they start consuming more plant food and less processed food. And I think there's there's a double-edged sword that's going on there. I mean, I think that a lot of the processed food that we have has so many chemicals in it that it just really fogs us up and makes us a bit brain dead. I think that's number one. I think number two is that once you supercharge your system with all these incredible phytonutrients and, and, and chemicals that are only found in plant food, 
Um, finally, the cells are getting what they want and they start performing at their best. So, you know, and another thing about this fasting, which a lot of people think is a bit crazy, but, you know, we come from this history of feast and famine on this planet and all our ancestors, I mean, you guys have got about 10,000 sets of grandparents going back to the beginning of Homo sapien, right? And it's only probably the last sort of five or six sets of grandparents that you could probably say didn't fast. But before that, 9,992 of them did. They had periods in their life where they went with no food for days on end. And this is something that we've forgotten to do. And one of the things that happens when you don't eat food, after three days, your body switches into a survival mode where your senses are heightened beyond, like your level of concentration, your eyesight, your hearing, your smell is at all-time highs because it's, it's trying to help you find food, right? And so at that moment, you are in incredible enlightenment and clarity, which is why religions adopted fasting. You know, Hindu, Islam, Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, they, they are big on fasting for that very reason. So, so mental clarity is something that you will definitely get if you switch to a, um, a, a, an all-plant diet. I'm not saying you do it all the rest of your life, but if you go to all plants, particularly your juicing plants for more than three days at a time, so 5, 10, 20 days, 30 days, you'll be blown away by the mental clarity. Such a good message. Mate, I've got a couple of, a couple of quick things just to, to get your thoughts on before you leave. Uh, the rebooters, as you call your community, that's now very, very strong around the world, who are taking on this process. So they'll take on a couple of days or a month or two months of juicing and taking on your direction. Have you been blown away by the community, the tribe that's been built behind this movement that you've created through the movies? I think they, they're known as rebooters, the re, rebooters yeah, yeah, community. Yeah, yeah. Look, every day, I mean, anyone who's listening to the show can go onto my Facebook page, Joe Cross or the Fat, Sick and Nearly Dead page, and they can look at the comments. They can go to rebootwithjoe.com and they can go into the forums. They can see the success stories. I mean, we've got hours of video content of all these people that have changed their lives. I mean, every day on Twitter, on, on Facebook, on Instagram, I'm getting direct messages from people who have just changed their life to just extraordinary. Now, I'm very – that's what keeps me going. I don't think I'm the reason for that. I always put that down to people making those changes themselves. I think that what we've created at Reboot is a catalyst. It's like a – it's like if, if Joe can do it, I can do it. If Phil can do it, I can do it. If Terry, the gunshot guy, can do it, I can do it. And I think that goes back to the original question you asked me, which is, you know, change is scary, it's frightening, and if people see other people doing it, then they're more inclined to think it's achievable for them. You know, if, you, if, you're, if you're giving speeches to executives about empowering them, you and I both know how important the power of positive thought is. Okay, we know that manifesting positive thoughts works. We know that if you get out there and say to yourself, you're going to have a crappy day, everything's going to go wrong, it's going to be terrible, guess what? That's how the day is going to turn out. If you can get up in the morning and convince yourself that today's going to be a great day, you've got a better chance of it being a great day than a bad day. All right? doesn't mean it's going to work out, but you've got a better chance. Now, this morning in Australia right now, 
most people are waking up today, they've woken up this morning, and I'd go pretty safe bet that more than half of them over the age of 35, when they look in the mirror and they get out of the shower in their birthday suit, their conversation goes something like this. By crikey, you're fat, you're ugly, you're a no-hoper, you're disgusting, you're a loser, look how fat, look how sick, look how old, look how terrible you look. That's the subconscious mind that goes thoughts that go through their head when they see themselves in the mirror and that's how they start their day. They're the, that's, the, that's the positive, in inverted commas, little pep talk that over half the population give themselves every morning. So what I have found is that when people make change and they make a commitment to consuming more plants, guess what? That conversation in the morning completely does a 180. After two or three days, they start getting out and they notice little differences. They go, you know what, Joe? You're looking good today. Wow. Your face, your skin, your eyes. And all of a sudden, the self-love comes back and the self-confidence and the looking at the self in the mirror saying, you're going to go out there, you're going to kill them today. You're going to go well. You're going to go and fire them up. And this, this inner voice, it's very, very difficult with that inner voice to be in a positive frame of mind if you're feeding your body massive, copious amounts of processed animal product. It's just very, very difficult. Whereas you put more life into your body, like live foods, live plants, that life emulates. So I have a saying, you know, everyone who wants to make a big difference in their life, you, you show me someone who's broken and I'll show you two relationships in their life that are broken, the relationship with themselves and the relationships with plants. Joe, there was a – you had a co-star in the first two movies – called Phil. And Phil Staples, yeah. Yeah, and the reason I raise Phil, and you can give us the, the quick background on Phil, but it occurred to me as a couple of things that for people listening who may be in that situation where they feel fat, sick, and nearly dead, what occurred to me is watching the movie a number of times is that it starts with, it all started with Phil when Phil reached out to you and said, I could use your help. So yeah. To me, the first part of what I'm talking about here and get your comments on is it's the acknowledgement. Yeah, and the other part during the documentary, I think in number two, you said that, that you found changing was hard, but then staying on the track was harder. Then the lady from Kenya said that because she was remote and she didn't have the community physically around her, she had the people to support her online. So the Rebirthers community, she could reach out to anybody in any country of the world and they were there to help her. So she felt like there was support. So I guess my, what I'm looking to hear from you, I'm curious about is it sounds like the acknowledgement, taking some steps, once it steps start to happen, then you actually need to have the community around you, the right people around you to maintain it when it starts to get hard. Would that be a fair Assumption? Absolutely. 100%. I mean, there's, there's no silver bullet in this life to staying in the healthiest, optimum way that you can. There's no like, do this, Gary, do this, Robbo, and you're done. That, 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 unfortunately, those quick fixes don't exist. I think, it's, I think it comes down 
to sort of a dozen really important points to be aware of. I think number one, you've got to realize, right, the power of plants. You've got to really understand that you've got to love them. You've got to, you've got to honor them. You've got to respect them. You've got to like not let an opportunity go by where you leave some Brussels sprouts on the plate. You've got to like say, you know what, I'm having a nice steak here. I'm having this. Let's get a side of spinach. Let's get a side of mushrooms. Speak up when you're at dinners, restaurants, order up some sides, you know. You switch out, switch out the prawn cocktail for a salad and then you have the steak. Don't let opportunities go by where you can't have your, your plants. I think you've got to realize that the world is set up for us to fail. So you've got to really be mindful. You've got to have consciousness all the time. Go to the, uh, the malls. Don't use the escalators. Try the stairs, you know. If you've got to go up three, three floors, don't use an elevator. Look for the staircase. If you're going to go and park in the mall, don't run around for 10 minutes looking for a parking spot as close as you can. Drive as far as possible and park in the furthest spot. Get the incidental walking in. Just be incredibly conscious. Be aware that when you go to fill your pe- petrol up with, with uh, you know, your, your gas up, with your, your tank up with petrol. I've got to change it to American from a, to Australian from gas to petrol. When you go to fill up with petrol, realise that when you go in to pay, there's going to be, you know, sweets there. There's going to be drinks there. Just be conscious and, and, and be built up so that the autopilot doesn't just have you going and picking up a Mars bar and throwing it down and adding it to it, which is what you normally might do. So you've got to be conscious. You've got to get exercise and movement into your day. You've got to do it. You can't not. You've got to realise how important sleep is. You've got to get regular sleep. You've got to start loving yourself more. So, and then I say the last point, which is what you're making, is you've got to have a community and a support group around you. Whether it's your husband, your wife, your parents, your kids, your best friend, someone online, because we're all going to fall off the rails at times. And we need someone that we trust and love and respect to be able to give us the nudge and say, hey, Robbo, hey, mate, Gary, mate, listen, it's all right, but you know, it might be helpful next week to get back on and you know, enjoy yourself now but how about next week we just do plans for four days you know what I mean mm. and, yeah yeah and, that's bad. and that's the that they're the they're the big they're the big things that if you can get on top of those things I mentioned and you can keep those those sort of uh present in your mindset then you're a long way you're a long way to that silver bullet just to just to finish this up just on that Joe um Something which I, I get quite excited about and I've been sort of putting my brain around how we would do it in local communities um, here in Australia. But you met a former celebrity chef called Michel Nishan and yeah. you talked to him about his wholesome wave movement. I found that super exciting as a concept that I hope will be nicked and spread throughout the world can you just give us a bit of a summary of what Michelle is doing and the impact it's having and how it's thinking differently about access to wholesome, real food, yeah. but also from the, the, what he's doing in, in the kind of the medical GP side of it? Yeah, so, so what we found is that in our, in our movie, we didn't want to have um, just like point out all the problems, right? We wanted to point out solutions pretty mm. easy. Pretty easy to make a movie about um, all the problems out there, but not easy to make a make a movie with with solutions. Okay, so so what I did is we found that Michelle Nishan he has come up with this idea that if you go to doctors, and I think from memory it's called the um, 
the fruit and vegetable RX, which is like the, um, the, the prescription code they have in the US. And instead of getting a, a, um, a prescription for medicine, you get a prescription to take down to your local farmer's market and get fruit and veg. And the whole family participates. So if you've got a kid with asthma, rather than taking, you know, some sort of uh, steroid for the asthma, the doctor says, all right, we'll give you a little bit of the steroid now for the next month, but we're also going to give you a prescription so that you give your kid just fruits and veggies and nuts and beans and seeds and whole grains and you're going to go on this diet for a month and then we're going to wean you off the the, uh, the prednisone or the the steroid, whatever it is for the uh, the medication, and we're going to monitor you for like two years, three years, and the whole family's going to do it so the kid doesn't feel like he's isolated or she's isolated. And it's just unbelievable what he's done and how it, how it works. And, you know, they're across the whole country and it's just extraordinary. The other thing they've done is they've got a plan in place that, that with food stamps, they'll match two to one farmer's markets will give you double the price for the farmer's market for a food stamp than you would get in a um, supermarket. So good. So good. So, you know, this is all, these are all incredible people that are doing amazing things and networks across, across the country. But at the end of the day, you know, people think it's all about money. They think it's all about, you know, money. It's actually not all about money. It's a factor, but a lot of it's about time and effort. And, and, and that makes a huge difference. Time and effort makes a huge difference um, to, to our di- daily health. Joe, just uh, one, one I, I think the stuff you're doing is just terrific. And I, I love that story of what Michelle is doing in that movement. And, and the fact it's involving GPs and, and they're on board with it is wonderful. It's, just to finish up, because I know you've got a lot to do over there in New York, um, to finish off your afternoon, what's the first hour of your day look like? So you're on the road a lot judging by your social media feeds and your website. Typically, if you have control of your day, what's your first hour look like? Uh, when I'm on the road, it's more, it's different than when I'm at home. So, so on the road, my first hour generally is getting up and getting out of the hotel room and getting on the road to where I've got to go. So generally when I'm on a tour, it's heading to a local TV station to make a juice on the local TV station or talk about the book or talk about the movie. That's that's generally when I'm on the road. Now, when I'm in Australia and I'm at Palm Beach up in Sydney, my my day is a cracker. I love my days in Sydney because I get up, I go down the beach, I have a swim, I go for a walk along the beach, then I go up to the house and I make breakfast, have a smoothie, have a juice, then I get into my emails. New York's a little bit different. New York runs on different hours. Um, the office, you know, we don't have people come to the office till 10 o'clock and they kind of work till 6 or 7. So New Yorkers tend to start their day a lot later. So I generally won't get out of bed in New York till like 8 a.m. because I don't go to bed till sort of like midnight or 1, right? Because, you know, you knock off work at 9, then you go and have something to eat and then you settle down before you go to sleep. So in New York, I tend to wake up and then hit my emails get on top of stuff and then I'll just go down to the gym or I'll go for a walk, go for a bike ride. If it's the winter time, tend not to go outside, tend to stay inside. And that's probably four days of the week. I'm pretty good in the gym. The other three, I'm probably not, not you know, I'm, I'm certainly not down there seven days a week. That's not really, I've never been able to do that. Um, that and that's how it works when I'm on there. Now in Los Angeles, it's a different story. When I'm in LA, 
I'm up usually at 6 a.m. and it's a much different way of starting your day. And so it's it's all it's all different, but um, but that's generally generally how I how I start my day. Do you journal, Joe? Are you a journaler? No, I'm not very good at that. I'm a talker. <laughs> I, I, I get on the blower a lot and talk. Good on you, mate. Well, this has been uh, this has been terrific. There's stacks of stuff that I could still go into with you. It, I, I've just got a pages of questions that I could uh, rave to you about all day long. Great show, Robbo. Very good. Very informative, mate. Thanks for your time. Oh, no, no worries, guys. Fantastic. Well, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. The Mojo Radio Show. Wow. It's a lot. It's it's one of those interviews where you sort of you sit back and you go, I've got, I've actually got to listen to that again and again to think to drag out e- absolutely everything that's in there because there's just so much, isn't there? You know, it's just it, just digressing slightly off that before we close the show, but it is a very powerful part of podcasts. So what I typically do, mm. if I'm listening to like a Tim Ferriss or a Jocko Willinks or any of these guys who really have great detailed content and usable practical stuff. Mm. When you have a podcast on iTunes, if you go into the information part, which is normally the dots on the side of the episodes, if you look to the side of the Mojo Radio Show, you'll see little dots, open that up. You can actually see a button called Save This Episode. And what that does is it saves it into your, as long as you've subscribed, it saves it into your podcast app. Mm. And you can listen to it time and time again because Mm. with my podcast, as soon as I listen to it, I delete it because I don't want to keep, filling up, you know, my phone with stuff I've already on to. But if I like it and I know I want to refer back to it, I go to the side, save this episode. So I always have reference points mm. and I always have the killer stuff saved. I only keep it for the best stuff. Mm. So I think this episode with Joe Cross is one of those ones you do want to save and go back to. Mm. Um, and it's a really good tool that, that iTunes have on the podcast mm. app. It's something we talk about a lot on this show. I know nutrition and all that sort of stuff. The, I actually saw an article in a magazine while I was away um, and it was talking about a lady who's actually found a cure for eczema because she got so frustrated with her daughter who had chronic eczema, um, not having any relief except for you know high doses of steroids and all that ugly stuff that you never want to give to a, a child. And she basically changed the child's diet. She took out all the sugar. She took out all the gluten. She took out, took out a whole bunch of other stuff and replaced it with, you know, the, all the stuff we talk about, you know, week in and week out, you know, good fats and foods high in antioxidants and high in anti-inflammatories and that sort of stuff. And her child who chronically suffered eczema day in and day out for years hasn't had an episode of eczema for the last 12 months. So yeah, The sad you know. thing for me is that we all, we all know this stuff, but people yeah. don't do it. Yeah, they just don't have the discipline. Yeah, it's all to do too it. difficult. And I know guys that are, you know, I'm a glutard. I know guys that are typically glutards. They mm. know it blocks them up. They know it gives them gas. Mm. They know it affects their system. They know what they like, but they still go out and ride and have a big thing of toast and a coffee before they go for a ride. I mean, they know it. Yeah. The difference is you hear these great stories of helping children and stuff. It was mm. this, you know, the kid being disciplined enough to do it, the parent being disciplined enough to do mm. it. So, mm. um, Hey, before we finish the show, I've yeah. got a rugby story for you. Oh, have you? You've taken my seat this week. Gary's Google Mojo. Now, you may recall that recently England have spanked the Wallabies mm, and yeah, for there. the first time in quite a while <laughs> have had three straight wins over Australia on our soil. Mm. Can I just say it took an Aussie coach to do that though? Well, that's my story. Oh, okay. So I have a story about <laughs> yeah. the secret to Eddie Jones, Australian, coaching victory over the Wallabies. Mm. 
Now, this was a story, I'm going to paraphrase this, written by Peter Fitzsimons in the Sydney Morning Herald. So mm. I'm going to report on Peter's story. However, I don't have a red bandana on my head. <laughs> 25 years ago, before a test against the All Blacks, Bob Dwyer was talking for 45 minutes to the team that Peter Fitzsimons was a part of. Mm. They're sitting in the dressing room. Mm. And after Bob Dwyer did this long tirade of information about how to play the game they're about to go and play, mm. Peter Fitzsimon says, I pretty much didn't get any of that. So afterwards, he went to the captain, who was Nick Farr Jones, who you will remember. Mm. And he said, Nick, did you get any of that? And he said, 98% of it. He right. said, but in a nutshell, what he said was, run straight, draw your man, set up the bloke on the outside of you. Now, the story he wrote goes back to Eddie Jones and how Eddie Jones simplified everything down to the absolute basic, most important fundamentals the team had to get right to be a successful team. Mm. And I think at this point they've now won nine tests in a row. Would mm -hmm. that be right? Something like that, yeah. The example Peter Fitzsimons gives that he was at a lunch 10 years ago mm. in Perth and a Super 12 coach got on the stage and said this, we now understand that on average Richie McGaw, the captain of the New Zealand's All Blacks, All Blacks mm -hmm. We'll touch the ball 67.23 times in a match. And 90% of the time he's offside. <laughs> hello, hello, Richie, and to all the All Blacks. That was Robbo. <laughs> One of the greatest players of all time. I'm a big fan of Richie McGraw. Also a very attractive man. <laughs> so he touches it 67.23 times. If they don't get him below 59.892, mm. they won't win the match. Mm. Same with turnovers. The Crusaders, on average, have a 9.54 turnovers in a match. Mm but they never lose a match if their turnovers are below 6.423, and so he went on. Mm. His story came down to maybe another example was Steve Waugh, who acknowledged that he never looked at the hands of a wrist spinner to see which way the ball was coming out to try and work out whether it would be a flipper, a googly, a Chinaman or whatever. Mm. He basically just kept on the ball. He yeah. basically kept his eye on the ball the whole way and then hit the bloody thing as hard as he could. Yeah which brought then Peter Fitzsimons to the moral of the story. Mm. He said he recently saw Eddie Jones at a rugby breakfast at the Hunters Hill Rugby Club. Hello to all our fans from Hunters Hill. Yeah. And he said that when the journalist who was interviewing him said, how are you playing the game? What do you put down your success to? He said, you can make stats do anything you like and some coaches believe in them. Mm. But there are only two stats that we, the English team, look at. Firstly, how long does it take a player to get up off the ground mm. and get back into his place in defence? And secondly, how long does it take a player to get up off the ground and get back into his place for attack? Mm. I like this story because you've come back from a rugby tour and you're heavily involved with the boys down at Cherrybrook. But I like this because I think business, I think people, I think anybody in any aspect of life are overcomplicating stuff. Eddie Jones, who's now, you know, one of the great coaches in terms of modern-day success in the last number of years, has stripped away and got down to what's absolutely important. If we get that nailed, getting up off the ground, if we get that nailed, we'll be a success. And I think people should look at their own health, you know, back to Joe Cross. If we get one thing nailed, fruit and veggies. 
If we get one thing now with our business, what would it be? If we get one thing now with our wellness, what would it be? If we get one thing now with our relationship, what would it be? And uh, I, you know, the proof in the pudding. But I thought it was a great story. Mm, I, it's a brilliant story. And I, you've got to give uh, full kudos to the English rugby team in general because they've come a long way in a very short time under that man. He's very clever. So to, to play us out, yes. I'm going to turn the tables today. <laughs> it's uh, I'm going to cast your mind back to a time mm-hmm. when you were probably – Let's say a tad thinner, a tad <laughs> bitter, yeah, and, and a, a lot tad faster. more aggressive, <laughs> a lot faster, a bit more virile. Yes, getting yourself up off the ground. Yes, uh, you're about to go out and play. Yes, in a big rugby match in front of a big crowd. It's all on the line. Gordon versus Ranwick. There you go. Yep. To play us out today, mm. what's the song that you've got on your headphones, on your walk, on your Walkman, yep. as you are about to go out the field? I can tell you that I had a 20-minute mixtape that I used to put on for the last 20 minutes in the shed, and the very last song was Meatloaf's Bat Out of Hell. Oh, let's play it with that. <laughs> yeah. We're out.
wanna be down, dancing through the night with you. Well, if I gotta be damned, you know I wanna be down. Gotta be damned, you know I wanna be down. Gotta be damned, you know I wanna be down. So 
The Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.